0: Mary Louise in the Country by L Frank Baum This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Mary Louise in the Country by L Frank Baum chapter 1 the arrival Is this the station Grandpa Jim inquired a young girl as the train began to slow up I think so Mary Louise replied the handsome old gentleman addressed "'It doesn't look very promising, does it?' she continued, glancing eagerly out of the window. "'The station? No, my dear. But the station isn't Cragg's Crossing, you know. It is merely the nearest railway point to our new home.' The conductor opened their drawing-room door. "'The next stop is Chargrove, Colonel,' he said. "'Thank you.' The porter came for their hand baggage, and a moment later the long train stopped and the vestibule steps were let down. If you will refer to the timetable of the D. R. and G. Railway, you will find that the station of Chargrove is marked with a character dagger, meaning that trains stop there only to let off passengers, or, when properly signalled, to let them on. Mary Louise, during the journey, had noted this fact with misgivings that were by no means relieved when she stepped from the sumptuous train, and found before her merely a shed-like structure, open on all sides that served as station-house." Colonel Hathaway and his granddaughter stood silently upon the platform of this shed, their luggage beside them, and watched their trunks tumbled out of the baggage-car ahead, and the train start, gather speed, and go rumbling on its way. Then the girl looked around her to discover that the primitive station was really the only barren spot in the landscape. For this was no western prairie country— but one of the oldest settled and most prosperous sections of a great state that had been one of the original thirteen, to be represented by a star on our national banner. Chargrove might not be much of a railway station, as it was only eleven miles from a big city, but the country around it was exceedingly beautiful. Great oaks and maples stood here and there, some in groups and some in stately solitude. The land was well fenced and carefully cultivated, roads, smooth or ruddy, led in every direction, "'Flocks and herds were abundant. "'Half hidden by hills or splendid groves peeped the roofs of comfortable farmhouses "'that evidenced the general prosperity of the community. "'Uncle Eben is late, isn't he, Grandpa Jim?' asked the girl, "'as her eyes wandered over the pretty peaceful scene. "'Colonel Hathaway consulted his watch. "'Our train was exactly on time,' he remarked. "'Which is more than can be said for old Eben. "'But I think, Mary Louise, I now see an automobile coming along the road.' if I am right, we have not long to wait.' He proved to be right, for presently a small touring-car came bumping across the tracks, and halted at the end of the platform on which they stood. It was driven by an old coloured man whose hair was snow-white, but who sprang from his seat with the agility of a boy, when Mary Louise rushed forward with words of greeting. "'My, Uncle Eb, but it's good to see you again!' she exclaimed, taking both his dusky hands in her own and shaking them cordially. "'How is Aunt Polly?' "'And how is your rheumatics?' "'Rheumatics done gone for good, may wees,' he said, his round-faced all smiles. "'Dis sure am one prosperous country for health. "'Nobody's sick but the invalids, and they just magin stay sick, that's all.' "'Glad to see you, uncle,' said the colonel. "'A little late, eh? "'As usual. "'But perhaps you had a tire change?' "'No, sir, colonel, no tire change. "'I was just trying to hurry along that lazy Joe Brennan, "'who's done coming for de trunks.' "'Joe Brennan is coming, then?' "'That's right, Colonel, he's coming. Done stop before daylight in de lumber-wagon. But when I done catch up with dat Joe, a mile and a half away, he won't listen to no reason. So I dodged on ahead to tell Ewans that Joe's on de way.' "'How far is it from here to Cracks Crossing, then?' inquired Mary Louise. "'They call it ten miles,' replied her grandfather. "'But I imagine it's nearer twelve. "'And this is the nearest railway station?' "'Yes, the nearest.' But usually, the crossing folks who own motor cars drive to the city to take the trains. We alighted here because, in our own case, it was more convenient and pleasant than running into the city and out again, and it will save us time. We be home in half an hour, most likely, added Uncle Eben as he placed the suitcases and satchels in the car. Colonel Hathaway and Mary Louise followed and took their seats. Is it safe to leave our trunks here? asked the girl. undoubtedly replied her grandfather. Joe Brennan will doubtless arrive before long, and, really, there is no person around to steal them. "'I've an idea I shall like this part of the country,' said Mary Louise musingly as they drove away. "'I'm confident you will, my dear. Is Craig's Crossing as beautiful as this?' "'I think it more beautiful.' "'And how did you happen to find it, Grandpa Jim? It seems as isolated as can be. A friend and I were taking a motor-trip and lost our way.' A farmer told us that if we went to Cragg's Crossing we would find a good road to our destination. We went there, following the man's directions, and encountered beastly roads, but found a perfect gem of a tiny, antiquated town which seems to have been forgotten or overlooked by mapmakers, automobile guides, and tourists. My friend had difficulty in getting me away from the town. I was so charmed with it. Before I left I had discovered, by dint of patient inquiry, a furnished house to let, "'And you know, of course, that I promptly secured the place for the summer. "'That's the whole story, Mary Louise.' "'It is interesting,' she remarked. "'As a result of your famous discovery, you sent down Uncle Eben and Aunt Polly with our car, and a lot of truck you thought we might need, and now, when all is ready, you and I have come to take possession.' "'Rather neatly arranged, I think,' declared the Colonel, with satisfaction. "'Do you know anything about the history of the place, Grandpa, or of the people who live in your tiny forgotten town?' "'Nothing whatever. I imagine there are folks in Crag's Crossing who have never been a dozen miles away from it since they were born. The village boasts a hotel—the funniest little inn you can imagine—where we had an excellent home-cooked meal, and there is one store and a blacksmith's shop, one church and one schoolhouse. These, with half a dozen ancient and curiously assorted residences, constitute the shy and retiring town of Crag's Crossing. "'Ah, I think we have found Joe Brennan.' Uncle Eben drew up beside a rickety wagon drawn by two sorry nags who just now were engaging in cropping grass from the roadside. On the seat half-reclined a young man who was industriously eating an apple. He wore a blue checked shirt open at the throat, overalls, suspenders, and a straw hat that had weathered many seasons of sunshine and rain. His feet were encased in heavy boots, and his bronzed face betokened an out-of-door life. There are a million countrymen in the United States just like Joe Brennan, in outward appearance. Joe did not stop munching. He merely stared as the automobile stopped beside him. "'Say, you, Joe!' shouted Uncle Eben, indignantly. "'What for you done settin' here?' "'Restin,' said Joe Brennan, taking another bite from his apple. "'Ain't you gwine to get them trunks home today?" day demanded the old darky. Joe seemed to consider this question carefully before he ventured to commit himself. "'Then he looked at Colonel Hathaway and said, "'What I want to know, boss, is whether I'm hired by the hour or by the day. "'Didn't Uncle Eben tell you? "'No, he didn't. "'He just said to go and get the trunks, and he'd give me a dollar for the trip. "'Well, that seems to settle the question, doesn't it?' "'Not quite, boss. "'I be thinking it over on the way, and a dollar's too pesky cheap for this trip. "'Sometimes I gets twenty-five cents a hour for hauling things, "'and this looks to me like a day's work.' If you made good time, said Colonel Hathaway, you might do it easily in four hours. Joe shook his head. "'Not me, sir,' he replied. "'I ain't got the constitution for it. And them hosses won't trot less I lick em. And if I lick em, I'm guilty of cruelty to animals, including myself. No, boss, the job's too cheap, so I guess I'll give it up and go home.' "'But you're nearly at the station now,' protested the Colonel. "'I know, but it's half a mile further, and the hosses is tired. I guess I'll go home.' "'Oh, Grandpa,' whispered Mary Louise, "'it'll never do to leave our trunks lying there by the railroad tracks.' The Colonel eyed Joe thoughtfully. "'If you were hired by the day,' said he, "'I suppose you would do a day's work?' "'I'd have to,' admitted Joe. "'That's why I asked you about it. Just now it looks to me like I ain't hired at all. The black man said he'd give me a dollar for the trunks, that's all.' "'How much do you charge a day?' asked the Colonel. "'Dollar and a quarter's my regular price, "'and I won't take no less,' asserted Joe." Mary Louise nearly laughed outright, but the Colonel frowned and said, "'Joe Brennan, you've got me at your mercy. "'I'm going to hire you by the day, at a dollar and a quarter, "'and as your time now belongs to me, I request you go at once for those trunks. "'You will find them just beyond the station.' The man's face brightened. He tossed away the core of his apple and jerked the reins to make the horses hold up their heads. "'A bargain's a bargain, boss,' he remarked, cheerfully. "'So I'll get them air trunks to your house if it takes till midnight.' "'Very good,' said the colonel. "'Drive on, uncle.' "'The old servant started the motor. "'That's what I calls downright robbery, colonel,' he exclaimed, highly incensed. "'Didn't I ask the storekeeper what to pay Joe Brennan for bringin' over them trunks, "'and didn't he say a dollar is big pay for such like a trip? "'If we's gwine to live in dis town, "'where they don't understand city prices and de high cost o' livin' yet, "'we gotta hold em down and keep em from speculating with us, "'or else we'll spoil em for the time when we's done gone away.' "'Very true, Uncle. Has Joe a competitor?' Uncle Eben reflected. "'If he has, Cunnel, I ain't seen it,' he presently replied. "'But I guess all he's got is dat lumber-wagon.' Mary Louise had enjoyed the controversy immensely, and was relieved by the promise of the trunks by midnight. For the first time in her life, the young orphaned girl was to play housekeeper for her grandfather, and surely one of her duties was to see that the baggage was safely deposited in their new home." This unknown home in an unknown town had an intense fascination for her just now. Her father had been rather reticent in his description of the house he had rented at Cragg's Crossing, merely asserting it was a pretty place, and ought to make them a comfortable home for the summer. Nor had the girl questioned him very closely, for she loved to discover things and be surprised. Whether pleasurably or not did not greatly interfere with the thrill. The motor took them speedily along a winding way to Cragg's Crossing, a toy town that caused Mary Louise to draw a long breath of delight at first sight. The crossing of two country roads had probably resulted, at some far back period, in farmers building their residences on the four corners, so as to be neighbourly. Farm-hands, or others, built little dwellings adjoining, not many of them, though, and some unambitious or misdirected merchant erected a big frame store, and sold groceries, dry-goods, and other necessities of life, not only to the community at the crossing, but to neighbouring farmers. Then someone started the little hotel, mainly to feed the farmers who came to the store to trade, or the drummers who visited it to sell goods. A church and a schoolhouse naturally followed in course of time, and then, as if its destiny were fulfilled, the sleepy little town, ten miles from the nearest railway, gradually settled into the comatose state in which Colonel Hathaway and his granddaughter now found it. End of chapter 1 Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.